All right, I'm going to open up this morning with uh, Galatians 5, uh, 22. I, I normally am really uh, set on what I want to call a series, and I realize now that I'm two weeks into a series. And I thought about naming this, and I didn't name it, but if I were to name this series, I would call it How Things Work, and I'll explain it, that to you as we go along. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace. Now, when it says that, y'all know, it means the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in your life is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Open up our hearts right now to receive your word, and I pray, God, just... Speak to every single one of us, Lord God. Have your way this morning in us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word towards us. We just believe, God, that you're going to speak to us. Pray for the empowerment, Lord, the leading of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the privilege of sharing what's in your heart. But I pray that exactly that, what's in your heart, comes through today. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, last week we were talking about how salvation works, and we spent some time talking about the fact that we are saved by grace through faith, meaning that uh, when you put your trust in Christ, he gives you the gift of salvation. And the important thing about that is that you cannot work for your salvation, you cannot earn your salvation. That message last week is a real important foundation stone for what we're going to be moving to this week. And if you missed it, you can catch it on the, on the podcast. Um, this week, we're going to talk about a subject that honestly is difficult for most people who are honest with themselves. And that is the subject of just obedience, obeying God. Do you see why last week we laid the foundation of we're saved by grace, not through works, so that as we talk about obedience today, we don't begin mixing the pots and think, think that our works are the things that saved us, right? We were, our righteousness was as filthy rags. He loved us before we could love him, and he came after us. We responded to him coming to us, and he saved us. You didn't do that. You didn't be good. I'm messing with the grammar on purpose. I feel like I have to say that because sometimes it drives Elizabeth nuts when I do that. Um, But we didn't save ourselves. He gave us the gift of salvation when we put our trust in him. Y'all following me this morning? And so when we talk about obedience this morning, we're not mixing those pots. Um, Last week we talked about these two covenants that... And that a covenant is a way that God relates to his people. It's like his contract with us. We talked about the Old Testament covenant or a Old Testament covenant called the covenant of the law. And then we talked about this new covenant, the covenant of grace or the new covenant. What's really cool is there's a scripture in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, that talks about this shift from the covenant of the law to this new covenant or covenant of grace. The covenant of the law, y'all remember there's a story in the Bible about Moses going up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and getting the Ten Commandments. Remember that? And uh, that was the beginning of him receiving the law. That's why they call it the covenant of the law. And there was the Ten Commandments, and there was a whole lot of other rules and stipulations after that. But in Jeremiah... It prophesies about this major shift that would happen between that covenant and the covenant that we're in. Here's the shift. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with my people Israel 
after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their people and they will be my God. So rather than there being a bunch of lists and chronicles and things like that, he says, I'm going to write my law right on your hearts. Do you feel the how relational that is? It's kind of like if you go to DMV and you're, you want to take the test, they throw a book at you, right? Here, study this. Know this. You know what I'm talking about? And what it's like the Lord is saying is, listen, now his law was loving and it was, and it was gracious, if you will, and it was from his heart. But there's a neat shift that happens when it goes from, here's the rules that are written externally that I want you to put in you, to here are the rules that I'm going to impart to your heart. Isn't that cool? It's a very relational thing. And when it comes to that, that shift, it moves from being focused on the, the nitpicky details to the, what is it that God wants? It becomes, as scripture says, obvious and not complicated. I don't want to step on your toes this morning, but if I do, please forgive me. Some of us, we like to get crazy detailed about stuff because it makes us feel secure. You know what I'm talking about? Some of us, not all of us. And so when it comes to, okay, what's right? What's right? We just like really like, like, okay, but is it okay? Like, can I watch television after 9.15 at night? Or does I have to turn it off at 9 o'clock at night? Or yeah, I'm just messing around. You hear what I'm saying, right? Here's how scripture says it in Galatians 5. It says the acts of the flesh. Now, pause for just a second. Flesh in scripture, it mean, it's talking about your physical flesh, but that's how they attributed the, the carnal nature or sinful nature. They called it the flesh. You following me? Okay. And so it says that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, enviousness, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And what Scripture is just trying to say is, listen, this is not complicated. Y'all follow me? Like, it's just, just not complicated. It's obvious. And, you know, if we abide by, like, what the fruit of the Spirit is, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, should I punch them in the face or should I forgive them? I should forgive them, right? Should I slash their tires or should I put air in their tires? Like, this is not complicated. But if we're honest with ourselves, doing the right thing or obedience isn't always easy. Can I hear an amen? You might think, some of us, you know, we're real pragmatic. Well, you just need to make a decision. You just need to do it. And i got to admit, there's a lot of things in your life that work like that. You just need to do the right, you just need to make a decision to do the right thing and do the right thing. Right? But, I don't know about you, but if you've been following Jesus long enough, you realize that it's not quite that simple. That it's not quite that straightforward because 
it's not always easy to do the right thing when we're honest with ourselves. I remember Abigail was eight years old, and she had done something egregious. It was pretty bad. I'm not going to tell you what it was. I'm not sure that I even remember what it was. I guess it was thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Um, I, well, Christianese joke there for you. Um, she came and and she was repentant. She you know she was in trouble and she was and I'm talking to her and she was really like upset about it, really frustrated with it. And she starts to cry. She's like, Dad, I wanted to do the right thing. I just couldn't. And I looked at her and I thought, That's the gospel, right there. I wanted to do the right thing, but I couldn't. And I realized that in her little eight-year-old self, that she was experiencing the very thing that anyone who follows Christ is going to experience, which is, I know the right thing to do, I just can't do it. That's a hard thing to come to grips with for some of us. Because some of us, we'd like to think that we're in control of ourselves completely and that we can completely have self-control. As a matter of fact, a fruit of the Holy Spirit is to have self-control, right? So how does that work? Why is it that we come to places where we struggle with that? One of the things I, I just love about Scripture is how honest Scripture is with us about the life that we're living. And in Romans... Um, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this struggle. Now, y'all got to remember, now, this is an apostle writing scripture to other Christians. And I'm going to paraphrase in, in Romans seven fifteen through 18. He basically says, for what I, I want to do, I do not do. For I desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Am I talking to the right people? I mean, that happens. It's just this internal struggle in war. And, and in how it works, I kind of want to share with you um, an understanding scripturally of why that struggle happens and what's going on. Because if you understand the way that God has made you and understand um, the parameters of what that struggle is, you're going to have a much easier time and a much more successful time of overcoming those things if you understand how it works. The reality is, you have in you this sinful nature. And any of us who have lived life for more than 10 minutes have figured that out. If you have raised a toddler, you have realized that you don't actually have to teach your kids your bad habits. They just have them. They were born with them. The scriptures, like, it says that we're basically born with this sinful nature. Thank you, Grandpa Adam. Right? You came by it legitimately, okay? And this brokenness inside of you is the thing, one of the things that God wants to heal and restore in your life. And what happens is you, um, when you receive Christ into your life, your spirit that was dead and separated from the Lord comes to life and the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life. And you have this new faculty, if you will. You have the, the spirit, you have the Holy Spirit in your spirit. You have this ability to walk by the leading of God's Holy Spirit. It says that when we come to Christ, 
that our old self or that sinful nature is crucified with Christ. It also talks about how when you are baptized, you are burying that old person, that sinful nature, and you're coming up with the, the, this just your spiritual nature that God has given you. And it's a glorious thing. And, you know, when you receive Christ, you feel this new ability to like, I feel like I can, I can do life better now. The challenge is this. That sinful nature, that fleshly carnal nature, it wants to make a comeback. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it just wants to, somebody cut you off in traffic and you're like, oh, the kids are in the car. I was golfing with strangers, and, and normally I try not to tell them that I'm a pastor because I like to hear them cuss and just go for it. And just, I like to, I, and then like hole 12 or 14, they're normally outed, and they're like, they're like so what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a pastor, and they go, oh, you know. <laughs> and then miraculously for the next few holes, and um, I like, but every once in a while I'll tell them people in my church cuss around me all the time. It's okay. I, I, I'm not going to melt. I'd rather the honesty. I'm not encouraging cussing. I'm just saying I'd rather the honesty. <laughs> to be clear, my pastor's cool with cussing. I did not say that. <laughs> I don't melt. I'm good. But that. That carnal nature wants to make the comeback. And that can be so demoralizing and so frustrating when we're walking out our Christian life. And so I want to give you like the how it works in Scripture. Because a lot of times we get in this thinking that I just need to do better. I just need to assert myself more. I just need to try harder. And I have, I'll tell you, the heart of that is awesome. But it's kind of like taking a a bolt that's stuck off. Sometimes you'll try harder and you're just stripping the bolt because that's not how it works. So let's look in Scripture at how it works. Galatians 5 and 16 says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Did you say walk by the Spirit? Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That one verse right there is Uber powerful. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Do you see that? What your spirit and the Holy Spirit in you wants is contrary to what your carnal nature wants. That totally makes sense, doesn't it? They are at conflict with one another so that you do not do whatever you want. See, the scripture is articulating the conflict that happens in you. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And so you have this carnal nature and you have this spiritual nature. And then the way I like to kind of depict it is it's like your will is in the middle. Right. And the challenge is, if we're headed in a direction, we feel the pull of both The flesh wants to lead. No, the spirit. It's like you remember the the, um, the the cartoons when we were little, a little angel, a little enemy. 
think it was like your spiritual nature and the carnal nature. And sometimes it really is the devil, right? And it's like wanting different things. And it's like your will is here (laughs) battling. I do what I don't want to do. And what scripture is trying to, to articulate to us is that if we walk by the spirit, the flesh ends up in last place. And it, it's not going to get gratified. But you see, walking by the spirit is not just the in the moment temptation thing. Walking by the spirit is a decision when I wake up in the morning. God, I give you this day today. Lead me by your Holy Spirit. This is your day. Lord, I thank you for the good things that you have for me. I thank you for the things that maybe I don't expect, but you're already there and you have the grace for me to face today. I thank you that you're with me. God, I I just read your word today and just let your word uh, fortify me and strengthen me this morning. And, you know, those kinds of things. And so and I want to be careful with this, uh, but it makes the point really well. Like in the morning, like what are you filling yourself with? If you are filling yourself with News, and I have no problem with news, with news that makes you mad, what nature are you feeding? Versus if you're filling yourself with scripture, the word, and worship, and those kind of things, what nature are you feeding? I'm not preaching against news. Saying recognizing the impact that things have on you and what you feed in yourself will actually make a difference. This is how Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction the one who sows to please the spirit will reap eternal life and so the nature that you feed is the nature that you will reap from The the challenge is when it comes to obedience Sometimes we're focused on a specific act. God, I'm struggling with that specific attitude towards that person or towards my job or this specific action that I know doesn't please you. And we make the battle all about that, but we forget to feed ourselves. That the little decisions, the day-to-day things, the small things make those battles different. There's more to it, though. You know, see, it's, it's a relational thing. Because you see the Holy Spirit of God. Such an awesome thing. You're called the temple of the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is in you. This is, this is relational. We learn how to, to rely on him. We learn how to follow him and, and his nudges and his tweaks. And, and you see, when the moment of temptation comes, you're, um, where you are unable to overcome it, That's the moment that you cry out to God and you go, God, I can't do this. I feel like if I try in my own ability and my own strength to come through this, I'm going to fail. And so I need your help right now. And that's the thing that Abigail was experiencing at eight years old is you can't be good in your own strength. I mean, fully. You can't. There are areas where you just have to cry out to God and say, I yield this to you. I remember when I first came to Christ, I was like so excited because I think just the amount of sin in my life that I was aware of and and asking God to forgive me of, I was so thankful. And I was like, man, I got a new lease on life. And I really did because I had this new life. 
And there were areas where, as I was walking with Jesus, I found out that he was going to tweak. Anybody with me? And one area was, um, I really enjoyed smoking. I really liked it. And I'm not actually right now trying to preach to you about whether you should smoke or not smoke and that kind of thing. We got plenty of people who smoke in our church. Just go out front and look at the stuff. We invite tons in. Like, I'm, that's not, don't let my analogy distract you. If it speaks to you, go with it, but don't let the analogy distract, distract you. So I was smoking and I was so excited about Jesus. And I worked at the Omni Hotel downtown. And um, I was a senior in high school, I was getting ready to graduate. And, uh, but when I smoked, I thought, you know, I don't want to ruin my testimony, is what I thought. So I would go in the parking deck, and I would go down like six floors down into the earth, and I would smoke my cigarette, thinking, well, this isn't sin, but I don't want, you know, I don't, I, I don't want people to misunderstand. And then I was like, you know how like God goes everywhere with you? <laughs> One day I'm like six, six floors under the earth, hiding my cigarette. And it's like the Lord, just so graciously, like I didn't feel like, I didn't feel that, what are you doing? I felt like, hey, what's up? Nothing. <laughs> what you doing? I'm just smoking. And I just kind of felt that conviction. You know what I'm talking about? Not the condemnation, the conviction. I was like, and it wasn't like a, if you don't start smoking today, I'm going to take my love from you. You're never going to feel my presence again. It wasn't like that. It was like a, hey, like that little tapping. I heard somebody say recently, man, God was just really beating me up and just really slamming me. And I'm thinking, do we serve the same God? <laughs> like, there are times when God is really serious with me. Don't get me wrong. But I'm like, it's like boxing, I think, or something was on last night. When I was flipping. I went through ESPN, and they were like, beating the heck out of each other I mean, people do that for money <laughs> if you love that hey i'm not, I'm not judging i just like i like my face <laughs> anyhow but i'm like i just don't find that god's like that with me i think that's a perception that people like to layer on him that he's like that i find it's more he's much more like the acts of the sinful nature are obvious and when it comes to then all the other, you know, kind of some areas and things, it's more like the. And it's it's when you're listening that you hear it. You know what I'm talking about? So. In that I remember and that was that was the moment when I yielded to the Lord, I actually made a covenant with the Lord. I don't recommend this because God, when you make a promise, to the Lord, he expects you to, to keep it. I told the Lord, I was like, Lord, I don't think I can just stop this because I really do like it and that kind of thing. And I just gave him my word. Again, I don't recommend it because when you give God your word, a vow, you need to keep it. And I just said, God, I'm not going to smoke anymore. And I just made a vow that day and, and didn't after that. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't about judgment. It was more about I wanted just the fullness that he had for me. And I look back at it, and I gave up something that I wanted, but I gave it up for the King of kings and the Lord of lords who loves me and cares for me. And even though it was so important to me, he was more important to me. And that came about relationally and heart to heart. It didn't come about because in my mind I'm doing all the math and just trying to figure things out. This relationship with him. And I think for a lot of us, 
there are areas in our lives where, you know, you get the, the right and the wrong thing to do and all that kind of stuff. And again, I think God just likes to make that kind of obvious and not complicated for us, right? Don't sleep around. Don't hit people, you know, destroy people's lives, stuff. You know, like, don't do that stuff, okay? So then you get to the area of, okay, Lord, what about, like, when it comes to following the path that you have for me? And I, I just want to take a moment and just say, for a lot of us, we're intimidated by what God would ask us to do. And that's a real fear of us. I remember when, when I was real little, my biggest fear was being in Africa as a, a single missionary living in a hut and not knowing the language and just, you know, having ground under my feet. Like, I was convinced that if I really gave my whole life to Jesus, I would live this lonely life in Africa. And, you know, the thing I found out about the Lord was that the plans that he had for me and the way that he designed me really matched really well. As a matter of fact, as I was following Jesus and I had this opportunity to go be a youth pastor in Germany years ago, uh, I was sitting with my pastor and he just looked at me and it was like the word of the Lord. He says, do you want to start your ministry first or your family first? And I said, what's in my heart is to start my family first. He says, you should do that before you start your ministry. And sure enough, God did that. It was, and that was something. That, and when I realized that God had put things in my heart and he had designed me for things that would be passions of mine. Now, don't get me wrong. There are areas where my will crosses. I have to lay what I want down. But I realized that he's designed me for what he has planned for me. And that comes from a trusting relationship with me, with him, and just says, you know what, Lord, the best things in life are going to come because I'm following you in that way. And, and while I might not like everything you send my way, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think you'd actually like most of what he sends your way. Because it's so much fun to see the things that God does. It's an amazing ride to see what's in his heart for people. It's like, you know, we have had a handful of people come to Christ for the first time this year. I think three people since the beginning of the year have come to Jesus for the very first time in their life. And there are times when I'm like, I wish the whole congregation could listen in on this prayer. Because this is the good stuff right here. This is amazing. And I just want to encourage you. His will for you is good for his kingdom, and it's good for you. It's really good for him, you. Now, one last thing I want to share with you before we um, conclude this morning. So what do you do with failure? The thing with obedience is a lot of us have a lot of failure in our lives. Whether it's in areas of, you know, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, or whether it's those nudges and little tappings, or whether it's the God has a project or a leading or a direction that he wants us to go and, and we're resisting. What do we do with our failures? Because the problem with failure is that it brings into us a cycle of shame. And it brings into us often a, a, a self-loathing, or a, and we have to handle that one, or, one way or another. We can either just go downhill by beating ourselves up, and uh, it can lead to depression and anxiety and things like that, where we're just, the weight of it comes on us, or we can just emotionally disconnect from it because we don't want to go there because I don't like feeling like that. So how do you handle failure? 
This is going to seem like the simplest answer in the world, but it's the truth. Run to him. It's so counterintuitive. Run to him with your failure. See, what the enemy does is he will tell you, you failed. This stuff cussing in your ear. I'm sure the enemy cusses a lot. He tells you how bad you are. Just you're up. Anyhow, I won't feel you feeling like just kidding. Um, but he will heap it on you. And what it will do is it will make you want to distance yourself from God. And that is not the way things work. We run to him. There is a scripture in first John. Now, the thing is, this is John who followed Jesus writing Christians, okay? The context is him writing Christians. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He is preaching to the church, y'all. He's not saying the world out there. He's saying if we claim to be without sin, we're lying, okay? He says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive you, he will clean you, and he will send you on your way and say, get up, let's do this again. It's an amazing thing. And Dare I say, it actually gets easier. I'm not saying there aren't areas where you will come to a crossroads, where you will have to cry out to him, because if you could do it all on your own, then you don't need him. But we need him. We need him. And he helps us overcome. Would you stand with me this morning? I'd like to...